This episode is brought to you by Charcoal Book Club, the world's first photo book of the month club. Each month, Charcoal works with the most respected photographers and publishers in the industry to send handpicked books to your door. Join the club at charcoalbookclub.com and they'll send you any book of your choice from their shop free when you use the promo code MAGICHOUR. Members also get exclusive perks like signed copies, access to rare titles, members-only pricing in their online bookstore, and more. That's charcoalbookclub.com and use the code MAGICHOUR to claim your free book. I photograph to understand what it is that I'm seeing, you know, and I photograph in order to, in a way, actively feel or be human. I'm Jordan Weitzman, and you're listening to Magic Hour. A friend recently told me that John Edmonds' pictures of African-American men in do-rags were the first photographs that had the power to completely change his perception. It reminded me of something which Dorothea Lang said, which was, the camera is an instrument that teaches people how to see without a camera. One can speak of Edmund's depictions of queer black masculinity in terms of their content and politics, but none of it would be transmittable if the photos themselves weren't so sensual, strikingly beautiful, and full of mystery. John earned his MFA from Yale in 2016, and since has been commissioned by The New Yorker, has had work featured in Aperture, and is shown with LTD Los Angeles. He had a solo show with him in 2017 called Hire, and another one which is up right now called Tribe, Act 1 at their Lower East Side space. The show runs through May 31st. When I went to meet John at his studio, there was just one print hanging on the white walls called Marcus with a Sacred Heart. I really love that, especially just after learning that Peter Hujar would do the same at his place. Only one picture of his on the wall at a time. It obliges one to pay a singular attention, to look hard, even for a brief moment. It seems that John has been paying close attention himself since he was a little kid. When I was like really young, like a little kid, I used to always, I mean, I've always been interested in like artistic expression. So I used to write a lot and I used to draw and I was raised in, um, like being raised in DC there, are so many free museums there. So, like, you know, as I was growing up, I would go to museums. Um, and being raised in, like, a Christian Baptist church, um, in, like, a Christian, Christian Baptist family, I used to, like, most of the paintings that I first saw and were able to, like, identify were ones that kind of have a language of, um, or, like, religious painting. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, that was kind of, like, my introduction to thinking about like visual art you know um and dc is a very it's a very renaissance city when it comes to like the type of i mean there's really no uh, i mean there is a contemporary art scene there but it's not really very visible Mm. um and living in a city where the smithsonian institution is um such a important part of the city um like going to like museums like the national gallery of art or the American Art Museum, or the National Portrait Gallery. Those are the first places that really sort of made me uh, very, very interested in art and art making. Yeah, so that was your photo background. It started, I mean, like looking at a lot of religious painting. I'm mm-hmm. curious about your, your family upbringing. You mentioned that you grew up in a... Christian Baptist. Christian Baptist family. family. Yeah. Huh. I mean, I have, when I was growing up, um, so my mom is from like south of Virginia from a fam, um, from a town called Farmville, Virginia. And she moved to DC like in her early twenties. And I 
have three older sisters, um, one younger brother, but my younger brother, he's 13 and he wasn't born until I was 15. So, Mm. um, it's a pretty like big age gap, but my mom, when I was growing up, she was married. Um, she got divorced and was remarried, um, when I was 15. So, um, yeah, it's like interesting going up in a family where, you know, you're growing up with like all women, you mm-hmm. know, because it's really like a, a, a privilege in a way because, you know, I was reading this thing the other day online about like how um, like that. the It was about men who have sisters. I think it was saying something about like how you're how men who have sisters have like a stronger sense of moral judgment, you know, like a, you know, they have a stronger sense of um morality and they're like they're they're more understanding people and it's a it was telling like how the the influence of like being raised because essentially it's like i was raised by women so it's a really intense experience too because (laughs) like you know having three older sisters it's like you know being the youngest boy it's like if you're the youngest boy you're like partly chasing after your chasing after your sisters all the time because it's like you know being a younger sibling you always like want to be with your older siblings of course but also it's kind of like um it can be torture also. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they tortured you. They drove you crazy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Huh. I'm curious about how that affected your headspace as a gay man mm-hmm. and how that was coming out and if it made it easier or harder. Or... My sisters, when I was growing up, they were like, they're all boy crazy, you know? <laughs> and like, I feel as though that definitely somewhat influenced me and the way that like I relate to the world and I, I relate to other men um or, or at least like how I was when I was because I feel like you know now that I'm a little bit older I feel like that it has changed you know and I've grown more into like my own self but that definitely had like a big influence on how I related to like other men you know mm-hmm. um because it was like being the youngest and like all my my three older sisters were all three years apart so, like, I kind of saw all of them go through sort of puberty and become young women um, as I kind of approached, you know, puberty and becoming um, a young adult uh, as well. So, you know, a lot of the experiences that they had, it's almost like, you know, you know how, like, on, in some movies, it's like when you have older siblings, too, it's like the, the classic kind of narrative or stories that you like look up to them and like the things that they are doing or the things that they're experiencing like you want to experience them a little sooner because they're doing that um so I'm not trying to say that like you know I'm like queer because my you know because of my sisters but I definitely do think that like I I got more in touch with like that side of my of myself through growing up with uh older older sisters and like Mm -hmm. being around women mainly growing up so Mm mm-hmm was coming out was it a big deal for you it was but when i you know first of all when i came out to like my mother um it was it was like right after i finished undergrad it felt like a big deal you know but now that i look at it in hindsight like it really wasn't and it was something that like i feel like my family already knew you know mm-hmm. so it wasn't like really <laughs> i don't think it's like a really big i don't think it was like a really big deal in, in in retrospect but i i think that like for a lot of people um you know the coming out process can be like pretty can feel pretty intense so yeah so let's talk a bit about um photography i'm, I'm curious about if there are any photographers work that you saw 
as a young man that you kind of really felt like I want to do that? Hmm. Well, there are, there are, there are a few artists that like when I was growing up that like when I saw their work, I, I, I immediately was like drawn and taken, taken by one of the artists that really stuck out to me. And I think that they were like someone who sticks out to a lot of people in their like younger age, um, was Sally Mann, Mm. um, as well as Nan Golden. Mm -hmm. For me, when I first, I remember seeing their work, I mean, they, to me really represented, um, what an artist should be. And, 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 in my opinion, there is something really amazing about an artist that can make work out of just what's what the world gives them on a day-to-day basis, you know? Um, so they're just like photographing representations of their own world, you know? And it was, they're, they're, you know, and they're doing this as people who are insiders, you know, and, and not someone, you know, the, the, the typical trope of a lot of photography is, you know, especially when you look at whether it's journalism, photojournalism, is that there is someone coming from this sort of outside perspective going into a different community and saying that they are, you know, an authority or they're representing something or they're representing a prospective community. Whereas I don't think that, um, you know, that to me the really fascinating thing about Nan Golden's work, at least, is that it's about her relationship with the people, you know, and it's about the relationships between the people and throughout the work. And I think that I remember like someone has said when I, they were like, uh, in teaching, you never show your students Nan Golden's work because everyone's going to think that they can do that, you know? Uh-huh. And it's like, in a way it's kind of like, Oh yeah, it's kind of, I mean, I, I, I can understand why someone would say that because it is, you know, it's fo- photographs of family and friends and it has a snapshot aesthetic, but it's, it, you know, there's a very sort of critical eye, um, Completely. you know, behind that work. And I think that, you know, young people, especially when, you know, sort of the fashion industry started kind of co-opting some of the things that she would do. Um, and this idea, like the heroin chic and all that, like it, it became very, very easy um, for for a lot of people to kind of copy, you know, copy that 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 work or aesthetic. But even though it's so much to it so yeah there's a lot to her work i mean her yeah. color is amazing her mm-hmm. i mean her her sense of relationships in a picture i mean mm-hmm. she's the, the way she puts together a picture they yeah they, they look kind of easy but they're mm-hmm. but they're incredible i'm sure it's very emotionally draining too on top of all of that too you know it's her like, making those pictures yeah yeah oh, yeah, yeah com- completely emotionally draining so yeah and the interesting thing with that also is that you know it's it's you know we could look at it now in 2018 but when she was making that work in the when she started making in the 70s no one was really working in that mode i mean Mm -hmm. i guess there was larry clark who had done tulsa and Mm -hmm. um, which was a big influence on her as well yeah Mm -hmm. and i'm just curious the sally man what was it immediate family sally man no actually it wasn't those pictures it was it was the, the this book that she did called at 12 at 12 yeah, it was yeah, yeah. like all you know these portraits of these like young women that she made in sort of like lexington virginia area and like to me that work is is super amazing you know um because i think photography is really as, as something that is so as a medium that seems so fixed it's really amazing when uh, photography is used to kind of think about these very sort of transitory periods in people's lives um, because I think that it, it really allows 
and maybe this isn't necessarily always true for the viewer, but for the subject at least to be able to look at that picture and see a version of themselves, you know, in an earlier stage in their lives, what I think is like very, very powerful. So is that, did you start working in, in a mode where you were dealing with your immediate surroundings on a day-to-day basis? Yeah. Well, when I, when I first started making photographs with a point and shoot camera, I was like 15 or 16. My, my, one of my older sisters, she, she let me borrow uh, like a Kodak point and shoot camera. So that's when I, like I first started just like making pictures of just like photographing myself and other people and just like really making, you know, pictures of my surroundings or what I understood as, you know, um, yeah, understood as like my kind of like representation of my world and like how, how would my world look in pictures? So then it just, it just started doing that. Um, and I think in a lot of ways that that has been a sort of thorough line throughout like most of my work is, is that like, I'm not going far or I'm not looking, you know, in this completely different place. I'm a, you know, so much, so much of my work is about place, you know, even though I'm looking at people, but so much of it is about place and, and people who sort of inhabit uh, sort of place with me. So, mm, yeah. Interesting. Are you referring to the portraits? Well, I mean, really, I mean, like, for example, when I was also this morning, when I was um, doing a visit this morning and I was talking about this, this photograph over here, uh, Marcus with the Sacred Heart. This is from 2012. And when I was in D.C., um, I photographed young men that I would meet on the streets, like on the train or on the bus. So, like, in a way, like, all those pictures were about, in a lot of ways, about this kind of community, a group of people, you know, that um, were all kind of related by geography, in a way. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, when I had started grad school, I just started doing, like, I just really started to do anything that I could think of, you know, because... I mean, honestly, in grad school, I mean, I feel like this is, this is the most difficult thing also for people who work in photography. I mean, I could have in New Haven been like, OK, I'm just going to do that here. But like some of those some of those pictures, I think, have this real sense of 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 togetherness and and and, and intimacy and, and closeness because also because like I was the, the state of mind that I was in. I mean, I was actually photographing even though I wasn't photographing in my literal home. I was photographing in, you know, in, in my hometown. Mm. So, um, when I, when I went to grad school, I started doing, um, just like, you know, whatever it is I can think of, I just really wanted to sort of challenge my own process of working with, um, portrait, like working with portrait, within portraiture and working with figuration and working with, um, uh, specifically, you know, the black body, um, in, in, in photographs. So, um, I, I just like started doing, other kind of like trying to find new conventions and uh, a new new ways within the convention of portraiture. So, mm. so is that when you started working on the was it the hoodies? The hoods. Sorry, you referred them as the hoods. Yeah, the yeah, hoods. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, that was in 2016, like right before I made I made most of that work while I was in um, while I was in grad school and living in New Haven too. Uh, but I did another I did an installation called uh, all eyes on me and it's a uh, that was what i showed for my thesis and it was a uh, uh, figure with uh, a mask wearing a mask on his face um and throughout the installation it's like 40 photographs and, and that work is so much about the idea of the gaze and implicating the viewer in in that i mean i think that in a lot of my work the the this I, there's like this idea of 
presence in a lot of it where in, a lot, in the earlier pictures in the Immaculate series, it's like, you know, you're, it, you know, it could feel as though that when you're looking at a lot of them that you're like in the space with the subjects. Um, but I, I was dealing with, um, you know, I was dealing with like ideas of public perception when I was like making most of that work. So I, I wanted to find a way to kind of uh, radicalize that. And a lot of that had to do with sometimes not picturing the individual at all, you know, um, or sort of covering them in a way that um, you could only see, you know, sort of like, just like small aspects of, of them. And there was this sort of necessity to, for the viewer to kind of like fill in the blank based on whether it's, you know, a bias or how they kind of like symbolically or, um, you know, see an item of clothing, you know, so, um, yeah. So that work spawned the do-rag work. Yeah. That, 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 was an, that was the progression. Yeah. I mean, like, yeah. also in between, like, I had been doing a lot of work that was about clothes, but not about clothes at the same time. So it was just like I had to do this piece now that I call Offering, but it was a sort of response to Robert Maplethorpe's Man in Polyester Suit. And it was uh, one of my good friends who actually lives right down the street, dressed in a uh, suit and unzipping his pants. And it's like a, it's like um, a panel uh, what it was is I photographed him in these like two different positions and cut up the negative into 16 parts. And it's like you're looking at this body that's not whole and it's 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 fragmented. And um, so that was that was a work I did. I think that was 2016. That was 2016. But like at the time I was doing a lot of work about, you know, this idea of clothing and how how specifically at that time, like how the, how the black male body had been pictured in the history of photography. I want to ask you about that piece because it's a, it's a really interesting piece. And I was um, curious about what your relationship to man in a polyester suit is. And I mean, maybe even more broadly, Maplethorpe's black book or even Maplethorpe's work in general. Mm. I mean, I, I, I look at that work. Uh, I look at that work and I, I don't really... Um, like now I look at that work, the, the work that I did and I, um, offering, and I see that as a really interesting kind of like radical departure because I, I, I had not been, um, making, it's a, it's a black and white image. And honestly, I, like, I don't really, um, I, I make black, and white. like now, like I'll make black, I'll make pictures on black and white negatives, uh, mainly because, you know, it's like you can buy a, a box and you can get 25 sheets, whereas a color you can get like 10 sheets. And it's like, it's just, it's just more affordable, mm-hmm. you know, but, um, I, I feel as though, um, photography really, um, you know, it's, it's interesting like, whether it's like controversy around certain works or people's reactions to certain works. I feel like that, I mean, it just like changes over time. People always change their mind and what they think or how they feel about something. And, and that's just like a nature of, of, of being human. But I look at that work and when I first saw them, I mean, of, uh, you know, with the, the black book pictures, like, you know, obviously, you know, I, I, I saw, the, I, I could see a lot of the arguments that, you know, Kabina Mercer, who is a, who's a scholar at Yale, who wrote about, wrote about those pictures. Um, you know, I could see a lot of his criticisms. I can see a lot of the sort of reactions um, that Glenn Ligon had when, you know, he uh, made, he made the notes on the black book. 
And at the same time, I also see when I first, what really made me very interested in those pictures is that um, on top of the sort of, I mean, there's objectifying, there is othering in that work. However, you know, that work, when that work, when that book was actually published, um, it's interesting to think that when that book was actually published, that half of the men, more than half of those men in those pictures had already died of, of AIDS. So it's like, what I, the, the question I would ask myself and I would ask anyone is that, you know, would I prefer for them to not have been made? Because, you know, he was, he was at the same time, you know, depending, no matter your feeling towards him as an, as an artist, he was making photographs of people who he had, you know, his own, he had his own relationships with and uh, many of, many of which, whom, who were not, who probably do not exist, um, and other kind of like historical bodies of, of, of work or, you know, many, many people who may have been overlooked, you know, so there is, there's a lot of, I think that there's, I think that with that, with that work, it's, it's, to me, it's too simple to just have one reaction to mm. it. There's a lot of, there's a lot beyond, beyond, you know, um, the, the, the problems of objectification or othering, you know, when you look at, man and polyester i mean i feel like that that picture is obviously you know super problematic and um fetishizing and when i made a pic and when i made uh the work kind of like responding to that um it was about how specifically in the history of photography like the, the, you're always seen as you know the black male body specifically is always know seen in in parts or or fragments so it's like i'm I'm representing a whole and and fragmenting them to sort of partly it's you know it's part performance part critique you know of of that work so in a lot of ways um i think that when it comes to um the black book it's it's just a very complicated yeah it's very complicated yeah yeah complicated when you first encountered those images was there an eroticism that you felt towards them no, I actually don't no? because like those pictures to me, they seem too like, they seem too cold hmm. to me. Like, I mean, like, that's, that's why like when I, when I photograph too, it's like I, I photograph mainly with ambient light, sunlight. I very rarely use like reflectors and things like that. I usually like, ambient light. And I think there's just like something that's really, that's a, to me, that's really what's beautiful about photography. Um, is, is if you, if you go on the sort of cliche end and say, I'm, uh, I'm, trying to catch capture a moment right mm. it's like when you use the sun or these like natural light sources it's just like it's 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 it becomes like this laconic moment in time that cannot be recreated so to me that's a part of i think uh the beauty of someone like sally mann's work or someone like nan golden's work um to me you know th- like those pictures in the black book they just i don't i actually don't see sense a feeling of eroticism in those they actually feel very cold and very kind of like sometimes sterile I mean technically they're amazing you know but they they feel like and and, and that's I, I think that's like that's a part of a lot of people's reaction to it that they just feel very the the body is almost like a prop mm. you know yeah in his work so interesting I guess I kind of see them like as uh, like a similar problematic qualities to like Helmut Newton's work or mm-hmm. uh mm-hmm. 
winning grands, you know, like, women are beautiful, but like mm-hmm, in mm-hmm. the pictures, they're, they're really good pictures. Mm-hmm. How do you kind of negotiate that? Well, it also shows, I think in a lot of ways that like, you know, good pictures can be good pictures, you know, but like, yeah. it doesn't mean that they're like art or that they are, you know, for like, for example, like I think, you know, since I have been using her as an example, like Nan Golden's like the art of, of her work is, is in the desire, you know, to me, like, in, like, in that sort of desire, in that sort of um, intense kind of yearning and want in the work, you know, to me, that that's the art of, of her of her work. But I mean, that's just how I see it. So, I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. I want to go back and talk a bit more about the hood pictures and I guess mm-hmm. maybe even more the, the, the do-rag pictures. Mm-hmm. I was wondering if those pictures were at all influenced by the Bechers and the Düsseldorf school. Hmm. No, no, I mean, I'm not, I'm not super like, um, super familiar. Yeah. Um, but no, like, you know, when I, when I first started making, making those pictures, you know, like again, um, like a, a big part of my kind of like, uh, formal kind of training even before um visually even before I went to school was looking at like religious painting and like there's um a Spanish uh I guess you would say he was part of the renaissance his name is Francisco de Zerban he's a painter who did he was really well known for these um paintings that he did of like monks Buddhist monks and um other different types of like religious figures and when i made when i made the hoods you know i was so i made that work uh simply because like the the the, the first kind of uh moment that kind of made me want to make those pictures was um i was looking at in my own bedroom i was looking at a hood a hoodie that i had like hanging on the wall and it was really interesting to me and in how there was like a sense of a body underneath it and I'm really interested in how even uh, an article of clothing can conjure memory and, and, and sort of desire also. And when I first started making those pictures, I wanted to see how, you know, my own body read in public space. And so like in a lot of those pictures, a lot of the, uh, the, the, the subjects and, and that work, a lot of them are wearing my own, like my own hoodies. So I was really interested in just picturing my own sort of uh, figure because in a way like it's interesting how for me it's very interesting in how you know when you wear clothes over and over and over again it almost becomes an imprint of your own body you know Mm -hmm. and there was a book that I was reading um, a few few years ago and I I don't remember the title of the book but one of the essays was uh, self-portraiture and the other and and it was talking about how you 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 literally never see yourself I mean you see pictures of yourself you see uh your reflection in the mirror but you never see your own kind of physical body so I was interested in how in real time and space at times it sort of felt as though I was kind of like looking at a doppelganger you know Um, Hmm. so 
to me, like if, if that's like part of the reason why I, I started that work. But when I when I was living in New Haven, you know, it's like it's such a charged like Yale was such a charged space because it's like, you know, such a wealthy university in the middle of this like very, very economically depressed city, you know? Um, and the way that I think, especially for me, like how perception shifts based on where you are um, and based who you're surrounded by, that was a big part of my experience in, in, in going to Yale. So I was, so I was making work um, about public perception because I was, uh, I was very, very much like sort of con- confronted with these different sort of um, microaggressions and, 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 and feelings of kind of false public perceptions, you know, so um, that's why that's why I started making that work. And it was it was really um, interesting because like at the time, like I mean, I had just it was a really radical departure because I had just been making these very kind of intimate, lush, like, you know, very kind of like romantic portraits. And then yeah. I started doing that. So. Yeah, it was right, which is more, which is a completely different mode of working. I mean, the way you present them, it's almost more of a typology. Then I guess that's why I thought of the the Bechers and the Düsseldorf School. Right. Yeah. So you're talking about the people who did the water towers. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I, yeah. Well, actually, I I mean, I'm familiar with their work. I'm not extremely yeah. familiar with it, but yeah, I yeah. but I know what you mean. And yeah, I mean, it's like yeah, because it's just like there's something about those pictures that there. So I and I see what you mean because like there's something about those photographs where it's like it's so much about the architecture of clothing you know what i'm saying right. like in, in a way it's like super monolithic you know? yeah and, and then also noticing like when you see a few of the durag pictures mm-hmm. side by side each one of them by themselves is beautiful but when you look at them together you kind of see the differences that they evoke between right so exactly so it's just like i was i was dealing with i was so like when i was making that work it was i had become really interested in repetition and r- repetition like repetition of form because you know to me it's like it's almost like photography I was teaching a class when I was teaching at SVA, I was teaching this class called photography and language. And to me, it's like, I almost understood it as though like the same way of like language. It's just almost like, you know, if you say this over and over and again, like this, 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 it starts to, it, it starts to lose its meaning and becomes either it takes on a new meaning or it means nothing at all. So I was interested in how the sort of repetition of a form kind of both sort of deconstructs and reconstructs the way we actually see or identify, um, people who may wear these items of clothing. So, yeah, I mean, I really, no, I actually, I see exactly what you mean, though, because it's like, when I did um, in Toronto in a few weeks, um, I'm, there's going to be a public art project that I'm, I'm, I'm doing, and it's also with the Hoods pictures, and we're doing them in, um, they're going to be in a uh, few bil- billboards. Um, and I did one billboard here in New York, and I'm doing it in Toronto, and it's going to be like a, a series of them. But, like, yeah, I mean, I also think about outside of the sort of, I mean, there's political implications to a lot of the work, obviously, but I think a lot about poetics, you know, and just like how, how you know, things can be different and the same or how something can be same and different, you know, and just like and, and the importance of nuance and actually looking because that is, I think, what either can bring somebody closer into something or... Um, I mean, there's like, you know, I, I think that it's kind of like what you said when you're talking about Nan Golden. I mean, it's like, it's, it's, it's really interesting when, when work is like deceptively simple, you know, because, you know, I mean, nothing is, e- it's, it's just not easy, you know, but it's, it's really interesting when work is deceptively simple. I feel like that, that's a very kind of, I often feel like that's a very smart 
move on the artist's behalf, um, you know, because it kind of engages audience in different ways. So, yeah. mm. what else is going to be on the billboards? Is it just going to be the the images, or just just the images? Just the images. Yeah, just wow. the images. So it's going to be um, thirteen in Toronto, um, which I'm I'm pretty excited about. I I I hope that it is provocative for the people who walk by it. Yeah. Mm. I want to talk to you about the work you did with um, the the collaboration with the MoMA exhibit. Mm. Items as Fashion Modern. Mm-hmm. Items as Fashion Modern. It was a series of pictures that was commissioned by the New Yorker. How did you approach taking those pictures? I was really excited to do that because it was something that I felt was already just like so in line with what I was thinking about at the time. Um, and I was like, you know, I had an assistant and um, the stylist, Amanda Lee Sheriffs, she's like a vintage buyer. What, how it happened is that she brought all these clothes to my apartment. And with my assistant for three days, we just drove around and photographed. And it was a lot of fun because, um, you know, it was kind of like, it was almost like playing dress up with your friends, you know? And it was like, I didn't have to, I didn't have to like, <laughs> do it, it, so even though I had there was a stylist it was like the stylist was never on set so it was like a lot of it was just up to me and like what I felt would be cool so it was really great to like have that sense of like freedom you know to like do something to do a commission for a magazine like the New Yorker but to have such a sense of like freedom in doing it um so it was really great and yeah it was and, really and awesome and the results are I mean they're beautiful they're really really um, stunning images thank you thank yeah. you yeah I want to ask you about, um, you've been working on a book. It's called Hire. Yes. Tell me about it and just talk about it a bit. It's a book that, um, it's a, so I won uh, an award last year through Capricious Publishing. Mm-hmm. Um, they are publishing my first monograph. And the title comes from the sh- a show that I did at my gallery in LA um, and the show was called Higher and conceptually and thematically the book is about you know this figure ascending from earth to heaven and the so it looks at about four different bodies of work and starts with the immaculate pictures that were done between 2011 2014 15 and which are like, you know, the more sort of traditional sort of environmental portraits. And then it goes to the do-rags and then the hoods and then tribe, which is a in-progress body of work that I'm working on right now. Um, so it, it's going to be, you know, between like 70 and 75 images. So it's going to be um, pretty, it'll be a pretty like, you know, substantial amount of work. And I did a conversation with Micheline Thomas for um, for it that's going to be published in it. Wow. And um, Durga Chubos, uh, who is uh, a writer who is based in Montreal. Really? Um, yeah, she's based in Montreal. She just huh. she just actually had her first book published called Too Much and Not the Mood hmm. by FSG. Her book is very like, they're, they're essays, but they're super poetic, you know, at the same time. And she is someone who thinks a lot about like photography in her own writing and I've always found uh, writers who 
think about photography to be so interesting because, you know, photography is, I mean, it's always had such a strong relationship to storytelling and, mm. and poetry and, and, and writing, you know, in general. So I'm reminded of something that James Baldwin said, which mm-hmm. was, I write to find out what I don't know. How do you feel about that in relation to your own work? I think that there, it's a there is a, a very strong relationship to it um, with with my work, um, particularly because you know I photograph to understand what it is that I'm seeing, you know, and I photograph in order to, in a way, actively feel or be human. You know what I'm saying? In a way, because it's like when I'm photographing, I feel as though, you know, I equate the care that goes into making a a picture, especially with a four by five camera, as like kind of an act of love you know and I think that you know in making photographs uh with a four by five camera there's a lot of it's a process you know and I and I like I like that process and I like being able to slow down and actually like really look I mean like there was one time actually when I did the items MoMA piece and Jessica Bell Brown actually was one of the models that sat for me and I was explaining to her, I was like, you know, you look like, like in the, in the camera, I was like, I was like, well, you kind of remind me of like my sister a little bit. And it's, it's amazing because it's like, I was, I was explaining like how, you know, when you photograph, like, especially when you look through the, the ground glass of four by five camera, it's like, sometimes you don't really, that is like the moment when you like put up a loop and like you focus like it. That to me is the the moment that you really realize how someone looks, you know, or how something looks, you know, like when you're like actually like focusing the camera and you're actually like looking that intensely. So, I mean, I think that's, I think that's very true in, in a lot of ways. I mean, I think that, again, photographers like writers and just like artists in general, I think you really, you should be doing it, you know, to, to kind of like learn in a way, you know, and I, I feel like, I mean, I really love when I, when I read what a writer, what I read uh, a writer's like text and you can understand that they are processing their thoughts in a way. I mean, that's what it means to like have practice, right? It's to like to do something and just do and do and do and see what it actually shows you, what it actually tells you and, and, and how, you know, writing is like framing the same way that like photography is framing you know so yeah yeah how long have you been teaching for this is my first semester i i've been teaching at on my own at sva Mm. but between undergrad and grad school i uh was a ta for one of like my mentors when i was from the corcoran i was a ta for her and also when you're at yale you have to do a ta ship uh, while you're there as well. So um, this is my first semester like teaching by myself, but I really like, I really love it. You yeah. Know? I really love it. What about it? Well, th- firstly that you have a group of people to like, you know, being an artist is like a very isolating experience. So it's like, you know, firstly that you have, I mean, the people that, are, the, 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 the students that are teaching were all freshmen. So the class being called photography and language in a lot of ways was about firstly like the idea of like legibility with photography and how we read pictures and like the things that we bring to pictures and explore. I mean, it was, I, I kind of covered a lot like from also like the, the, the relationship between text and image and uh, things like that. Like one of the artists that we thought allowed about throughout the course of semester was Lorna Simpson, who is someone who I, I really admire and 
we talked a lot about like a lot of ideas that uh, kind of selfishly I was able to kind of like make the class kind of think aloud about things that I wanted to think about, you know, <laughs> like, so, you know, I, I loved, I love teaching in like, I loved being able to, te- I love teaching in this kind of like selfish way because it's just like, it allows me to like, be like, okay, like I am setting the foundation for the things yeah. you have to think about. Because I mean, in most of the time, it's like going through so much schooling. It's just like you're always on the opposite opposite side. You have to like think about what they think is important, and 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 I think that's like also a real kind of difficulty also in like being at Yale. It's like you know, or being an artist just in general. It's just like you can have your own set of like criteria or agenda of like what's important for you in your practice, but people are always going to bring what they want to talk about, you know, to your practice. Like, I mean, like, for example, like when I was making the immaculate pictures, like a lot of people wanted to know, you know, oh, is he your boyfriend? Or like, you know what I'm saying? Like all these are, what are your relationship with these guys? And it's just like, you know, people are, for me, I, I think that those pictures are just like the, the, the hoods or the do-rags. There's a certain sense of like kind of strict formality to those pictures that really allow it to be about, the picture, you know what I'm saying? And about, about the formal qualities behind it and not so much about, you know, this kind of like idea of like speculation about like, you know, you know what I'm saying? That's a part of like American culture. I think specifically is like, we love speculation and we love scandal and we will love, mm-hmm. you know, to talk about all the things we really shouldn't be thinking or talking about. So, yeah. Yeah. So thanks so much for having me over here. Yeah. It's been, uh, it's been a real pleasure. Thank you. Yeah. Great. <laughs> thanks. That was my conversation with John Edmonds that we recorded in Brooklyn. When we first started working on this interview series, it seemed like getting to five episodes was a big hurdle. Yet somehow the time has flown by and we've gotten to our 20th. I just wanted to thank you all for listening and hope you've been enjoying the show so far. We've got some upcoming conversations which we're really excited about, so stay tuned. We'd also love to hear your feedback, so send us a note sometimes or leave us a review on iTunes. It helps us improve the show and others to discover it. This episode was produced by me, Jordan Weitzman, and was edited by Crystal Duhem. Music by Poddington Bear, Michelle Macklem, Damian Lazarus, and the Monks. Thanks for listening, and see you next time. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods, for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.